0: It is with great pleasure that we join together to share the telling of vibrant stories that come from all over the world. If you find yourself far from Park City, you're part of an exciting evolution of the Sundance vision. We're all here to experience the festival's magic and celebrate this generation's most innovative storytellers. So again, welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that is taking in that thin, thin mountain air. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. This time, however, we are here for a special bonus episode to talk about the films of the 2023 Sundance Film Festival. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my blonde-wigged Anne Hathaway, Chris File. Hello, Chris. What a
1: fucking compliment! I yeah, you always do very well to compliment me usually, um, but uh, yeah, I take I, I take that in full respect and stride. and Hathaway having a great week, aside from being phenomenal in Eileen, we'll get
0: into it and uh, dancing to Lady Marmalade. All right. Speaking of which, I just want to address that right now. Uh, the the viral clip that is too short. I want it to be like ten times as long as it is of Anne Hathaway at a Sundance party, dancing in her phenomenal like animal print dress to Lady Marmalade. The one beyond once I was like done like death dropping for Anne or whatever. Um, I was. These days, am- we never stop. <laughs> essentially. I was so struck by the fact that, like, we are now in a place where the LaBelle version of Lady Marmalade has has come back. And mm-hmm. is because, like, for a while there, the only version of Lady Marmalade anybody ever heard was the Moulin Rouge version, which, like, I don't have any specific complaints with. And I've, like done that at karaoke plenty of times because it's so fun because you just divide up the roles and, and you know, you and three of your friends can, um, or even four of your friends like musical some, chairs, can should like
1: no, but There's no assigned roles, it's just like the mic keeps getting passed around and it's like a hot potato, and if it lands on you when that verse starts you have to do it, and if you don't do it perfectly, you're kicked out of the bar
0: I've basically done a version of that, Well, like, but I've also done the version of, like, before it starts, being like, I'm pink, I'm Maya, I'm whatever. Um, and that's also fun, too. But I'm glad that, that uh, the LaBelle version of Lady Marmalade has now at least come back into fashion enough that, like, it's the version being played at Sundance parties. Like, that's very cool. I'm very happy about that. I
1: think it was – I don't think she was still at Sundance. <clears throat> I think she was at some fashion thing.
0: Oh, was today. that C-level? Oh, Okay cuz it looked like a yes. it looked like an outfit that she was on the red carpet for at Sundance. Oh, okay.
1: No, uh, this is the thing. We never stopped death dropping for Anne Hathaway. She wore with like boots and some type of mini dress. Oh, I remember a that one.
0: corseted puffer coat. Yes. Corseted puffer coat. Yeah. I mean that's huh, one of those on. things where if somebody had done that as a drag race like design challenge or whatever, it would be like the most legendary thing. It would be like Detox <laughs> when well, Detox showed up in all black and white. I mean, it's not not Utica sleeping bag dress. It's so much better than Utica sleeping bag dress. How dare you? How dare I mean, you?
1: Well, Utica sleeping bag dress was great. Like this the, is better. This is you better. could buy those at the same
0: store. That's what we're saying. Okay. We need
1: to talk about the movies. Okay, <laughs>
0: let's talk about the movies. Uh, I saw. Okay, so. SunDance as ever. This is such a dumb complaint, I'm sorry, but like SunDance as ever comes at the most inopportune time on the calendar for me specifically, for a lot of people, but like for me specifically and my confluence of interests where like not only am I and I also like I don't take off time from work to cover SunDance, especially like I'm I'm doing SunDance virtually. So I'm trying to do it from home and I'm trying to like fit it in the margins of my jobs and my life and it comes at the confluence of uh oscar nominations like oscar nomination week mm-hmm. um and for me the nfl playoffs which i had like a significant vested interest in especially this year where the bills were in it up until <sighs> last sunday when it all came crashing down um but all of that is to say that like i had so much less time for sundance movies than i thought and like i i've been up Like two in the morning almost every day this week, trying to squeeze in Sundance movies just because Mm -hmm. that's the only time, like late nights and early mornings, that I've been able to do Sundance movies. And so I only saw 10, and I say only except for the fact that, like, I'm really, really glad that I was able to squeeze in 10 because, like, it was really hard to even do that. So, um, you seeing. 3 times 34. That is so impressive to me <laughs> like genuinely so I, impressive I I saw
1: 34 I was lucky enough to screen some
0: early Yeah um but yeah kudos to the... you So I'm going to be deferring to you on a lot of these but um I have seen at least a few that you haven't seen so we can kind of like trade off and tag off I want to start with the awards though and I'll I'll sort of t- hand this to you because I don't think I've seen any of the awards winners uh at Sundance, which is kind of a bummer um, because I did see a bunch of the award winners last year. You saw uh, Theater Camp, which got an ensemble prize. I did. That's the one. That's the one uh, award winner that I did end up seeing. We'll talk about that in a second, but talk to me about 1001, which won the US Dramatic t- uh, Conference. One of
1: my favorite movies of the festival. I was so happy that it won. Uh, listeners can and should see it in theaters at the end of March. It's coming from our beloved Focus Features. Um, 1001 is, I believe, A.V. Rockwell's debut feature film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, shorts of hers that are also really well liked. Uh, the movie stars uh, Tiana Taylor as a mother who is, at the start of the movie, we'll also try not to get into spoilers for some of these movies that people may not see for months. Yeah. Um, uh, At the beginning of the movie is a mother who uh, is reconnected with her son who is in the foster care system, and she ends up kidnapping him and, you know, changing his name and starting a life together. And the movie isn't the movie that it quite sounds like. It's almost like, I mean, it's the most cliche thing in the world to call a movie novelistic, but it really, by the time that this movie was over, I got, I had the sensation that you really only get from, you know, Reading a novel that you get the interior lives of these characters across a wide span of time. That's, I think, one of the surprises of the movie, though. Like, by the time there's a trailer out, it won't be a surprise. Mm -hmm. It spans, you know, maybe a decade's worth of time. Yeah. And it's not just about. This mother son story. It's set in Harlem, uh, beginning in nineteen ninety four, and you know, going through about the next decade and a half, or towards a decade and a half, um, with an with the you know, it seems like it's on the margins, but I think it's ultimately the text of the movie talking about the gentrification of the neighborhood and yeah, you know, just the like. Uh, over commercialization and the way that uh, New York City is shoving people out of their neighborhoods and yeah. such. And I think that the relationships in the movie, rather than being their own thing, and you know, this subtext running through the movie being its own thing, I think there is, in terms of like thematics and like what how the relationship develops. It's very reflective of what's going on in the neighborhood, I find. Yeah. Um, and Tiana Taylor is absolutely fucking lutely incredible. wonderful. Um,
0: That's so good. yeah, go see that this March. Um, I'm looking through some of the other award winners and I don't I'm trying to think of what other ones you saw the I audience also, award I, winner for this is world the dramatic
1: you you're saying you missed most of them. I missed a lot of the awards winners too. yeah,
0: I don't think either one of us and saw I still sc- saw a bunch. yeah, I don't think either one of us saw Scrapper, which was the world uh, dramatic competition uh, jury prize winner or the Persian version, which was the U.S. Dramatic Audience Award winner. But you did see Shida, Shada, the yes. uh, uh, World Cinema Dramatic Competition Audience Award winner. So tell me about that one.
1: Uh, that stars the um, same lead actress that won the Cannes Acting Prize for Holy Spiders, Aramir Ebrahimi. She is equally as great in this movie. Um, she, it's, uh, she is an Iranian woman in australia she is going through basically like a safe house situation with her daughter trying to escape her abusive husband mm-hmm. um this movie is maybe more close to what it sounds like from a log line than 1001 is uh-huh uh, but it's still carried by this really really strong performance by this actress that i think we're only going to keep seeing exciting work from. So like I
0: would say the reason to see it is that really really strong performance. Very cool. Um you saw One of the buzziest titles at Sundance, which was uh, Jonathan Majors in Magazine Dreams, which won the Special Jury Award for Creative Vision, which was one of those. All
1: these prizes, all these word salad prizes. And this year they at least made them be Creative Vision in all of the different competitions.
0: Everything. So I've been hearing a bunch about Magazine Dreams, and everybody is very much raving about Jonathan Majors' performance. I didn't see it. Uh, I now wish that I had made it a priority to see it just because I do feel like even if we don't think, and I've talked to you privately and, and I know that you don't think it's going to be an awards contender, it is now in the conversation. It just is. And it's going to be something that I'm right. going to need to see at some point. I'm worried now that I'm going to have to like take a TIFF slot and see it. One of the nice things about having done Virtual Sundance last year was – it allowed me to see more things at TIFF because I had seen a bunch of, of the Sundance stuff that went to TIFF. So, um, like Living, for example, which but, I had to catch up
1: to at TIFF. Like
0: Living, exactly. Uh, but in everything that I've been hearing about Jonathan Major's performance, everybody's really impressed by it. Everybody says the movie is hard to watch. I still don't quite know what the movie is about, so maybe enlighten me a little bit on okay. why so, it's so hard to watch, without spoiling.
1: Jonathan Majors is this, you know, amateur bodybuilder. Right. He it spends a lot of the movie... It, it's an incredibly interior movie, Um. so it's like it's very much it's quite well placing you within his psyche, his you know mental state but he is mm-hmm. a very isolated man his kind of ment the way he expresses himself is kind of like man child a little bit so mm-hmm. it's 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 like he's a 10 year old boy in sure. a 30 year old like very physically fit man's body yeah. yeah um it's hard to watch because it is it's also When people say it's hard to watch as a pejorative, I would say partly that's because there's nothing you really get from this movie by the end of it that you haven't gotten in the first five to ten minutes of this movie. Right. So it's incredibly repetitive in a very grim headspace. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... I mean, a lot of people have said they hope before it gets released that it, you know, goes back in the edit room. Sure. I wouldn't be surprised if it is. At over two hours long, it is far too long. There are literally three, maybe four possible endings to this movie where the movie does a hard cut to black and you think it's over and then it jumps back in. Uh, I... I either told you or I told another friend that I was like it felt the end of this movie felt like watching a alternate ending DVD reel where it's like these are four different endings we shot because the heart the cut to blacks were such a hard like separation between right. the next ending right um it it is a really unpleasant movie it's putting you in incel brain for like two hours gotcha. it's clearly from a filmmaker that's going to make a really great movie i just don't think that at least with this screenplay this movie has much going on is jonathan majors really great in it yeah but i would rather see him in better material and i think because it just kind of puts you on this Ferris wheel of unpleasantness that yeah. it won't let you off of, I don't really think that that's going to translate to a Best Actor campaign. Sight
0: for unseen him. for me for this, my my rejoinder to that uh, has been currently one of the five nominated Best Actor performances in Brendan Fraser and the Whale, another movie that for everything that I've heard from people is also... Um, a bad movie and not pleasant to watch. And I just wonder if like, sometimes these things aren't like the quality of the film is not as much of a disqualifying factor as we would like it to be, especially when the, the actor in question, there is a, there is a swell of support. And I think Jonathan right. Majors is an, is an ascending star to the degree to which I could see people getting behind him as a sort of like, he's, he's, he's arrived kind of a thing.
1: I understand the comparison. However, I think Brendan Fraser is, you know, in a movie directed by someone who's already won people Oscars
0: before. Yep, yep. And... I, see, I see that. Yep, I gotcha. Um the other thing that I that I didn't realize this until I'm sort of perusing uh, the headlines about this but apparently the open captioning at the film's premiere malfunctioned and Marley Matlin is on the ju- was on the jury for Sundance this it year. It was an
1: open caption device not the captions on the movie. Gotcha. Um and it, this has been part of a push to get open captioning on the prints of the movies to make the screenings much more accessible to people. Yeah. Um and there there obviously was debate about that and why filmmakers or their producers were hesitant to do so for yeah. this case you know the director came forward and he made a statement and it sounds like it was
0: more the production side to go against that but yeah all right moving on through the other titles though i want to talk about the stuff that we've both seen so why don't you peruse my uh list of my meager list of 10 While
1: i do that why don't since we're still talking about the award winners and i did not see it i'd like to hear you talk about theater camp which won the ensemble
0: Prize. theater camp okay so i in in going through the list of titles that i was going to see i saw theater camp which comes from uh director molly gordon and you know we have both uh enthused director molly gordon and nick lieberman are uh, a shared direction credit but molly gordon in particular who we've seen in um uh shiva baby shiva baby but also what's the uh book smart um book smart she's she's quite good but yeah she's great in shiva baby she's an actress who the both of us have sort of latched onto. uh co-wrote this with nick lieberman and ben platt and noah galvin who are both uh Broadway actors, uh, Evans Hansen, uh, the the betrothed Evans Hansens of uh, of fame. Um, not my favorite folks, but really love <laughs> Molly Gordon. So I was like. Well, this movie is about, like, of whatever, like, essentially Stage Door Manor, but not in name, right? Which is, like, the movie Camp, which I love. The Anna Kendrick right. movie Camp was, a, was essentially also about Stage Door Manor. So I was just like, I'm going to have to see this. It's sort of like, it's one of those things that's, like, up my alley, but I also feel like it's on the razor's edge of I could find it really insufferable. And so, like, hold my breath, jump right in, I'm going to go see Theater Camp. I ended up liking it. More than I want more than not more than I wanted to. I wanted to like it. I ended up liking it more than I expected to, while at the same time having some pretty significant quibbles with it. On the whole, I think it's a funny movie, and I laughed uh pretty much throughout it. And like that at Sundance is um a can be a rarity. So I can see why it won a prize and it won, mm-hmm. you know, some really goodwill. Without spoiling it, one of the things that I found Irksome about it was indeed the fact that a lot of this movie sort of like seems to have the express purpose of making you realize just how incredibly talented Noah Galvin is, and like, like you're one of the writers. Hate this movie. (laughs) That aspect of it, yes. Even though like his character is incredibly likable, and you do end up really rooting for him, and then it's just like by the end of this movie. You're just like, was that the whole point of it? Were you really just trying to sell me on um, like, you know, the, 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 uh, triple threat, uh, nature of, of this one guy who was the co-writer of this movie? Um. I kind of wanted it to be in the end a little bit more about the kids, which like that's the one thing about camp that I really like is that it's but this the is the thing that people who enjoy
1: this movie seem to enjoy most about the movie is the kids,
0: yeah, and the kids are great, and like it it's it's got a good sense of humor about all this stuff, and like Nathan Lee Graham is the um the movement coach, and he's really, really funny in a very sort of like uh like grand dame of the theater kind of way Caroline Aaron is one of the co-owners of the camp and like I adore Caroline Aaron she gets the with credit this is with with mm-hmm. Caroline Aaron and Amy Sedaris, which, like, you can't really go wrong with that. Iowa <laughs> Debary is in this uh, as, a, as one of the Patty Harrison, teachers. 22. Patty Harrison is in it, playing essentially, like, a suit from, like, pseudo-Goldman Sachs or whatever. Jimmy Tatro <laughs> from uh, American Vandal is the uh, acting uh, director of the camp, who has no idea what theater uh, uh, is all about, and he's very funny. So, like, there's a lot that's very, very funny about it. If you have less of a hang-up about Ben Platt and Noah Galvin than I do, then you'll probably like it even more so um uh we may end up talking about this when we talk about when we eventually do dear evan hansen in the future spoiler alert but um uh yes i enjoyed it i can see why it's so funny then the reactions that i'm seeing to it i think the people who are less and less um embedded within like theater folk <laughs> like it better i think i think sir there's some people mm-hmm. that are maybe like it's too close you know it's too close to home <laughs> i think um which bodes well i think for the movie as a crowd pleaser if this ends up on like uh it did get acquired by uh, searchlight so it's gonna end up on hulu and like i think people will watch it on a friday night on hulu and be very very happy with it So they had the searchlight pickup though From what I read, is
1: theatrical, so it'll eventually be on Hulu. Oh, that's interesting. The intention is to put it in theaters.
0: See, that should have happened to Fire Island. I'm glad that they're like learning their lesson from this, but like, it's too bad that like Fire Island had to be the casualty there because Fire Island that should have been the path for that movie as well. I should also say, in a small role, but in a very welcome one, uh, Minari's Alan Kim. Uh, sweet oh little my God. Alan Kim is in this movie. I'm like that was very fun. Let's talk about some of the
1: ones uh, that we've both seen, yes. which luckily also includes my other favorite movies of the festival. All right, let's. Let, I, you really loved Eileen. I
0: think you liked Eileen quite a bit better than I did.
1: I almost feel like I like Eileen more than anyone else. Anybody I've talked to? Yes, you're the most um, positive. On I think that I've people. Seen. I mean, like, I'm not trying to like build myself up here. I think people don't get it. Um, maybe I can see that. I, I mean, like maybe some of them have read the book. Maybe some of them haven't. I've seen some dumb shit saying that the movie is queer baiting, and it's like, oh, well, I don't agree with that at all. It, it's it's so stupid because like. We won't get into spoiler territory, but it's a movie. Talk to me about the
0: author for a second, though, because, like, this woman. She's kind of a big deal in a way that, like, you know, I'm very not plugged into books. So, like, I had no idea that this woman (laughs) was, like, a big deal. So she has.
1: uh, I think the most famous book of hers, though, Lapvona, her newest book is, you know, kind of taking over. uh, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Her books and her voice is on the caustic side. I mean, that was maybe Mm -hmm. something that I could have used a little more of in Eileen, but Eileen is a first-person narrative as a book, and I think it's smart for the movie to not have narration, um, Mm -hmm. because that would have maybe been annoying, and I don't love that as a device in movies generally, but it does lose some of that bite. And I think because it loses some of that bite, when you get to this third act twist or pivot the thing that I yeah. think that, you know, kind of underlines what this movie is ultimately doing and what it's about and recontextualizes everything you've watched.
0: It's throwing people for a loop in a way that yeah. they
1: are like, well, what the hell did I just watch? I was
0: unsatisfied by the final third of this movie.
1: I think that this is ultimately a movie for people who whether you want to say they're queer people, whether they are, you know, women who don't see themselves as housewives, women who don't see themselves as mothers, etc. This is a movie about how stifling the suburbs and small towns can be, and not only how it can be awful to live there, but how it can bring out the worst in you. How that... sure that stiflingness that you know level of demand can turn you into a monster and i i'm surprised that
0: people aren't getting that <laughs> i don't it's not that i don't get it i wish the movie would have a little bit more meat on the bone for that portion of the movie it feels abrupt and it feels And because it feels abrupt, it feels a little glib in that final third to me. Um, I did want to bring up one more thing before we get off the subject of Otessa Moshfeg, which is my favorite thing about the career tab in her uh, Wikipedia entry, (laughs) which says, After contracting cat scratch fever, she left New York City and earned an MFA from Brown University. (laughs) <laughs> Which is the funniest <laughs> sentence I've read in anything ever. And it, like, what? Like, what?
1: Okay. All right. Kato Teshamash fag pulling a Lydia tar. She vandalized my Wikipedia. It's one of those um,
0: things where it's like, if you told me in 10 years that this person completely fabricated her identity, I'd absolutely believe you. But anyway, let's talk about In hand. Good for her. Um... Anne Hathaway's tremendous in this movie. I loved her so much. Yes, she she's is. absolutely magnetic. You can't take your eyes off of her. She's making a meal out of this performance, but in a way that doesn't feel self-indulgent. And she's worth the price of admission alone. And I'm glad I saw I also it for that feel reason. like this is
1: a movie, if people go back and re-watch it, because like I was watching it knowing where it was going. I think everywhere where this movie goes is right there in her performance, like, un- sure. burrowed underneath the surface. Um, Somebody...
0: I saw, it, I saw it compared somewhere, and I can't remember whether it was Hathaway herself who did, compared it to, she said it was, um, Carol meets Reservoir Dogs. And I somebody who hadn't seen the movie Aww. saw that quote and was like, that's weird. And I'm like, honestly, if you see the movie, it's there. Like both of those aspects <laughs> of the movie are there.
1: Uh, I the, think the comparison to Carol is why people are like, this movie's queer baiting. And it's like aesthetically, you could see how something like Carol or Cirque is an an influence point for this movie. But yeah.
0: I think I mean I, I saw I definitely saw inf- uh, hints of Carolyn there in a way that like I didn't certainly didn't object to at all. Um I'll also say it is one of two tremendous Marin Ireland performances that I saw at the festival. She's only in one Marin scene Island. in Eileen, but Fucking she rules. She rules in Eileen, but she's also in a movie that I wouldn't have seen if you hadn't recommended it so highly. So let's talk about mm-hmm. birth rebirth one of my other
1: favorite movies of the festival birth rebirth directed by Laura Sok, or Sock um there i was put onto the radar of this movie um because i love their short friday which you can watch on criterion channel about the um it's the uh, without spoiling too much of it it's set during uh, I believe Ted Bundy's execution day Um, so it's not Friday as in on a calendar but Friday oh god Um, oh lord okay it's not about Ted Bundy though it's about a a
0: young (laughs) photographer um you know I love a pun, but that's maybe a little bit much even for me. It's, it's,
1: it's, a, it's a, a tremendous short. And uh-huh. I loved Birth, Rebirth, um, really different than um, their short. But it stars Marin Ireland as um, basically a morgue attendant who also is fashioning herself as a modern-day Victor Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, And uh, Judy Reyes, who is a nurse at the same hospital, yeah. who, uh, I mean... I suppose this is the first 15 minutes, so it's not much of a spoiler. Her daughter dies suddenly, and then the two of them, as I'm sure you can imagine how, uh, go into partnership together. And I saw some people being kind of underwhelmed by this movie. I kind of found it unpredictable at every turn. Um, Yeah, I was pretty riveted. I thought by the end of the the way the movie ended, um, some people thought uh, felt a little um, abrupt, open ended. But Mm. I thought it was a real interesting and nasty way to end this movie. That I had a good amount of time with, less gory than I expected. But when it was gory, oh boy! Um, I'm not. It'll be. Uh, released by IFC Midnight and on Shudder at some point this year.
0: It'll be on Shudder, which, if Shudder is still around by then, which hopefully it is, because... um, Oh, I don't know about this. Well, Shudder, there was, uh, during the whole... AMC was letting go a whole a bunch of, a whole bunch of people back during. This is all part and parcel oh, of these sort of like corporate shakeups or whatever. And yeah. I remember there was anxiety uh, for a moment that like Shutter was maybe going to go away, and maybe it's out of the woods now, and maybe it's not. I haven't really stayed that plugged in, but I hope it is because like Shutter is a really really great resource for a uh, horror film, and I know so many people who are like not as plugged into the film industry as we are who like swear by shutter. And I think it's a really good Mm -hmm. um, streaming service for that. Uh, If I had one, and again, I'm not in the position of telling somebody how to make their movie. Like I, what the fuck do I know? Um, If the beginning of this movie had featured the Judy Reyes character sort of like, having to dig into the sort of like the whereabouts. Cause like her, her daughter is, you mentioned dies and then like the body goes missing. And if there had been more of like a little bit of a, uh, you know, detective search for like finding out where her body is. And then the realization, you know, she uncovers the, cause the big twist mm-hmm. in this is where, sh- where this body is and what's being done with it. And, um, I thought that could have been, like, a real fucking holy shit moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. And instead, it's sort of, like, treated a little bit just sort of like, well, this is the next thing that happens. With that very, very minor quibble aside, I was riveted by this movie. I think it's really well done. I'm so done. glad you liked it. Maren Ireland is tremendous. She's She's playing a really, like, she's almost... Uh, She's an incredibly isolated woman, and her work is her work. And she is very – she's diabolical, but she's – it's just matter-of-factness. There is no – there's no wickedness to her. There's no, like, sinister intent. It's just the work. and be, And that makes her sinister enough. You know what I mean? Like, that makes her mm-hmm. sort of terrifying. But it also, like, makes her – like the rules of that character stay very, very uh, rigid and she stays within that parameter and she does such a good job with it. Judy Reyes is an actress I have loved for years. She's been primarily a television actress. She has recently been on uh, Claws. She got... To my attention, she was one of the four main characters in Scrubs. Mm-hmm. I really loved Scrubs. She's tremendous on the She's show. She's my favorite. She's ab, Carla was my favorite on Scrubs by like a mile. I absolutely enjoyed Carla and Judy. Judy Reyes was fantastic. So I've rooted for her ever since. And i don't know how big this movie can be you know what i mean there's probably a ceiling to how sort of like uh crossover this thing can get but like i want as many people as possible to see this movie because um i think Marin Island gives the performance of the movie but like judy reyes is really really great too she's the desperateness of her character and the guilt that her character is taking on for you know not being there with her daughter when she died and the the Lengths to which she's going to go, but also the like weird little domestic partnership that the two of them forge during the mm-hmm. middle portion of this movie is mm-hmm. really fascinating it's, and really interesting. And I liked it a lot. It's twisted and fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 So thank you because I would not
1: have sought this movie out. Anyway. I'm just so happy that you liked it that much because I was like, I'm maybe going out on a limb selling him on this movie that I loved because it's. It's gnarly in terms of the psychology of it. Like, there's going to be a lot of people who are just going to check out because they're like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. But um, I'm glad you liked it.
0: I liked it better than the other sort of ooky spooky movie that I saw, which I'm not sure if you did. Did you see Divinity? I didn't. I was curious about this it's an interesting movie and I'm glad that I saw it. it. It got really, really buzzy for like a day or two there. Like the Sundance buzz really does sort of like flare up very quickly because like it's a fest as a festival, it goes very fast. Like Sundance is just like, boom, boom, boom. And then you're out.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: um, That one got like a flare up of uh, interest. Um, You know, I love Stephen Dorff. And so uh, the film comes from writer director Eddie Alcazar. Uh, Dorff plays essentially the speaking of mad scientists, sort of the son of a scientist who has. Commercialized this this movie that takes place sort of like in the future has commercialized this product called Divinity that is meant to uh, extend uh, life and you know essentially make uh, people uh, immortal and and sort of is selling it on these sort of like uh, infomercial things that reminded me a lot of the um, nostalgia interludes in Watchmen especially the the Watchmen comic book mm-hmm. but anyway. Um, uh, he is sort of the main character, but there's also these two brothers played by Moises Arias and Jason uh, Janau, who are essentially like star children who like come down from uh, the heavens and are Uh, encountering him but there's also a character uh, named Nikita played by Karuchi Tran who is a uh, sort of like comes upon this situation and finds herself embroiled in it I don't really want to spoil too much of the plot it's a very sort of like self-consciously weird movie about and it's all in black and white and it's very much like this is is somebody who watched that one episode of Twin Peaks The Return like 8 million (laughs) times you know what I mean? Um, I think ultimately it runs out of steam and I think it just kind of, to me, wears out its novelty a little bit, but like, it's certainly interesting. It is, again, you talk about with and credits. This is a with Bella Thorne and Scott Bakula, which you're just not going to get anywhere else as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Sure. Um, it's, it's interesting. There's body horror aspects to it. There's sort of like classic, like alien invasion stuff it is like weird shit's going on in the desert kind of a movie um it's interesting it is compelling for a while i don't think it it lasts all the way through it is only you know 88 minutes so if it whenever it becomes available i'm right. not sure if it got, it doesn't it also, have
1: distribution yet.
0: Steven Soderbergh is a producer, though, and it literally like he's a presenting it's HBO Max. Like his his name is very prominently featured on this, so like mm-hmm. I imagine it will get distribution somewhere. So when it does, check it out. It's not like anything you're really gonna see. I liked it, and I think it's worth watching just for that. Looping back uh, quickly,
1: I got my notes uh, crisscrossed on some stuff. The director of Birth, Rebirth is Laura Moss. Yeah. Want to get their name correct. You uh, mentioned Divinity, which was in the next section and was in black and white. I saw another movie in the next section that was also in black and white and was fantastic. It's Kokomo City. It Uh is a documentary about uh, black trans sex workers. Um, And... I just have to like. This is not to shit to like compliment one movie by shitting on others, but like four of this year's five best documentary features nominated for Oscar are from uh, debuted at Sundance the previous year. Yes, that is not going to happen again in this coming year. Yeah, the only real documentary that I would like wholeheartedly recommend is Kokomo City. Kokomo City fucking rules magnolia is releasing it i think this summer but they said later in the year Mm -hmm. um it has real vibes of like and i mean this as a full compliment like hbo after dark documentaries that is a compliment alive and having its own like visual stylistic identity in a way that absolutely no other documentary i watched this year did
0: Mm -hmm. um check out kokomo city nice all right the time has come for us to talk about iris axe's passages a uh my other favorite movie of the festival it's very good it is i'm gonna you know it's a snap judgment so i'm gonna you know want to take you know some time with it it is still not my favorite of the iris sax movies i think i like it a little bit less than little men and love is strange it possibly has to do with the fact that Franz Rogowski is tremendous in this movie has it gives a phenomenal performance, performance the festival. playing a character that i literally wanted to banish to the outer rim of the universe <laughs> i what a fucking loathsome character this guy plays oh i hated him so much an absolute monster but
1: the best performance i saw at the festival i think what's interesting about this for iris Saxon? and you know i love iris Saxon. and we yeah. both love iris axe this movie kind of hits a little harder than his other movies in a way that i he doesn't really hit you know like mm-hmm. it's and partly it's because france ragowski's character is so noxious and you know it's I've seen people compare this movie to closer. That's not a bad comparison. I thought of, i actually
0: a, I thought of that too uh, closer, yes, it's absolutely. a
1: bisexual love triangle, but it's also a character study of Franz Rogowski's character, who's a film director who kind of you know goes with the breeze. he is partnered with Ben Wishaw has this affair with Adele Exarchopoulos. It's the first time he's had sex with a woman, apparently, or at least, you know, one of the significant times. <laughs> Technically, lo- he's
0: having the affair with Adele, Adele Exarchopoulos. What he really is doing is having an affair with his own navel, because he really is so enamored <laughs> of the fact that he's... <laughs> he loves a, I've stuff. never done this with a woman before. It's a whole new experience for me. Let's talk about it. I want to talk about it. This is so... Look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm expanding is my like, horizons. like, can you talk about this with me please (laughs) god nightmare person absolutely nightmare person just a narcissist of the first order absolutely
1: i all i mean like in that way i do think i mean this movie is a comedy it is a like very caustic comedy but very all of those horrible things that would come out of his mouth i could not stop laughing because it's someone who is so absolutely up their own ass yeah um and it's uh, you know, it's just a very exposing character study. Yeah. Um, on top of being a very
0: exposing, I was gonna say the thing that everybody's talking about is the sex scene between him and Ben Washa, and like for good reason, it is one of the hottest and like most like real and feeling
1: sexy in two because like it is incredibly revealing of what that relationship 100%. dynamic is at the same time, hundred
0: percent. Uh, there, like, I hate, I hate, I hate glib top and bottom uh stuff. When Twitter gets really into, like, when gay Twitter gets really into, like, I'm a tap, I'm a the top and bottom politics at play in this relationship is surprising and really, really uh, uh, revealing and and you know. Sort of unexpected, and, and that...
1: uh, still not quite easily boxed. Uh, you know, exactly. based off of uh, exactly. what else is happening in the scene exactly. slash where hands are wandering, etc. Yeah, um, it, it will absolutely
0: not be released with an R rating, uh, <laughs> not with that scene intact. And I hope they do keep that scene intact. So yeah, it was picked up by Mubi, and yeah. uh, Mubi. Uh, distributed uh, decision to leave this year, which we just got finished talking about, how that got blanked by the Oscars. But I also feel like a lot of people saw Decision to Leave this year. Like there was, I got, yeah. saw a lot of Decision
1: to Leave had a good uh, box office run considering Mubi did well uh, by that movie. So I
0: think Mubi can do good things for passages as well. So I'm happy about that.
1: Ah, uh, we'll be talking about Fran Franciszkowski all year long. Can I we think.
0: talk about my favorite movie of the festival? Which I don't know yes. if you actually saw. Did you see A Little Prayer?
1: I did, okay. I did. Uh, Angus McLaughlin wrote and directed this. He wrote Junebug. Yes. It is very aligned, I think, with Junebug, though maybe not aesthetically. Yeah. It's his most um, June
0: Buggy kind of a movie that I've seen from him. He's made sort of smaller movies. Um, mm-hmm. He directed, was it called Goodbye to All That, or was that somebody else? Um, the, uh, maybe.
1: What were the other, give me a second. Sony Classics picked this up, though, so it's one of the movies that, as of now, has distribution. And they announced uh, it for this movie pretty quickly after its premiere compared to some other things, because even, like, Fair Play, it took a few days for that big Netflix spy.
0: Yeah, he wrote and directed a movie in 2014 called Goodbye to All That that starred uh Paul Schneider and Melanie Linsky. Anna Camp is also in that movie. Anna Camp is in a little prayer. That one, that one mm-hmm. I saw at I believe Anna Tribeca Camp this movie
1: kind of drove me insane.
0: I think Anna Camp's really good in this movie actually. Um but this, the 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 attraction here is David Strathairn and Jane Levy as a a father-in-law and daughter-in-law who are living in this sort of small town situation. He uh, comes to suspect that his son is cheating on her. They sort of live in the house out back, essentially, like on, you know, they Mm -hmm. live with them they've taken you know this couple in while they're getting on their feet essentially celia weston plays uh, david strathairn's wife there is a moment also the beginning.
1: does uh, guided tours of i guess it was north carolina yes or, uh, puritan whatever. puritan
0: guests uh, whatever like wa- guided tours or whatever she also at the very beginning in of costume, this movie she larps um uh, puts an ice cube in a cup of coffee in a way that I find so incredibly endearing. She's just having her coffee <laughs> with an ice cube in it. Uh, I think David Strathairn gives a tremendous performance in this movie. Sony Pictures Classics. Show- Sony Pictures Classics picking up this movie on the heels of getting two Oscar nominations for Living, I think, is very encouraging. I think if Strathairn gets the kind of campaign that Bill Nye got uh, this coming year, I will be very very happy about it. Uh, Jane Levy is also really tremendous. The two of them. Um, Jane Levy is great uh i I think they're gonna
1: have an uphill climb for that um because the movie is i would say even smaller than it sounds um I mean probably what I think would be the good i mean i am not a, <laughs> I am not a distribution or award strategist, but if they went the June bug route and released it in the summer mm. and could still like ride that wave of having a long tail for yeah. people to catch up to this very small movie. It could work. It's funny that like, this
0: conversation here, this dynamic we have on this movie, is the exact opposite of what we had about living, where you were very high on Bill Nye's chances and I was like, it's a really small movie. It's like it's it's yeah. it's going to have a struggle. So I'm hoping that Living
1: is massive compared to this movie. I though. don't agree.
0: <laughs> I think it's there I
1: think this There's a of lot is, of big feeling in this movie, but like the movie doesn't exact I mean, like aesthetically I thought it looked
0: tiny bit cheap aesthetically um, sure but I don't think this this is the kind of movie that sells itself on aesthetics I think the fact that it that it is as emotionally right. um demonstrative as it is I think is a plus for this movie and um I don't know I think I think you could get a strathern campaign out of it and he's just really tremendous he's just really really good in this movie and I loved him a lot um but that my, was your favorite of the festival that was my favorite of the festival yes what else should we talk about though call um, of Center. Oh my gosh. You hurt my feelings. Maybe my second favorite of the festival. Um, can't wait to see it. It opens. A24 has got it. It opens in March. Is that is that what I had heard?
1: Uh, I think that's a rumor at this point. Okay. I, they haven't announced that at least. Let's
0: hope that it's true.
1: Um, I thought for... I mean, you know, we also love Nicole Hollis Center. Yeah. I thought for her movies, she, came, she bounced back from... Do it from Land of Steady Habits, her Netflix movie yeah. that was not well received yeah. and doesn't really feel like hers, right. and doing the grimness of the screenplay for The Last Duel with some of her hardest hitting jokes yeah. of her career. Yeah. Do I agree with people that it's one of her best movies of her career? I don't quite go that
0: far. That's a, like a high bar. She sets a high bar to clear. Movie. It's a very, very funny movie. I will say. We've talked about, we've done an episode on Enough Said here on this podcast, and we both really love that movie. And Friends with Money. And Friends with Money. But Enough Said specifically because of the Julia Louis-Dreyfus connection. I might be more impressed even by Julia Louis-Dreyfus in this movie than I was even in Enough Said. I think she's really, really great in I this can't movie. agree with that. Okay. Um,
1: well, sorry. <laughs> it, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays an author who changes genres and overhears her husband. Saying that he doesn't like the book, and that's basically the thrust of the movie. It's. It was less about. The plot was less central to that event than I was expecting, but ultimately, in the way that, you know, you get to the end of a Nicole Hollis Center movie and you have. You feel like you've gone through actual rich profound character study yeah. of like the way we are as people this movie i think is about our capacity and inability to take and accept feedback and yeah. ha- the type of tender gloves we uh, care for each other with and sometimes should and sometimes shouldn't yeah. um that i i found that more interesting than i found the execution of the movie but oh, the, the I jokes see. are so Good in this
0: movie. I I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take the opposite track there. I think it's executed quite well. I think the performances are all very very funny. I think Julia Louis Dreyfus is uh, emotionally on point while also being. Tremendously, tremendously funny in a lot of ways. I think she and Michaela Watkins as sisters is inspired. I love the mm-hmm. two of them and their dynamic. Jeannie Berlin as their mother, all of the scenes with so three funny. of them together, with those two as the sisters and Jeannie Berlin as their mother, are really, really tremendous. Um, Tobias Menzies has never been my favorite actor, but I think he holds up pretty well. Oh, I it was a detriment
1: to the movie.
0: I don't, I would not go so far as to say a detriment. I think that's way overstating it, but um, I not my favorite, but like Owen Teague as their son, I really, really love. Um I think it's a really really great movie and I'm excited for people to see it once you know Nicole Holofcener makes movies that feel of a conversation with one another and I think that's one of her great strengths and I think this one is mm-hmm. uh like you mentioned Land of Steady Habits feels like an outlier in that way and like this one feels like she's you know back um on, on, on in this in the realm of her best movies and I think that's very good so I really liked that. Did let's he... quickly
1: go through the rest of the movies you saw, and maybe I'll mention a few that I saw. Yeah, you saw the Cory Finley landscape with invisible hand that nobody seemed to like.
0: I was gonna, I, I was gonna ask you about that because I hadn't really seen any chatter about it at all. People didn't really like it very much. Is that what no. you're saying? I would no. agree with that. I wanted to. I really <laughs> wanted to like this. It. It. Um. It really lands flat. It's this sci-fi story about you know this sort of like near future where aliens have arrived and have um, sort of uh, commodified the human race, and they've provide now they, they now provide the human race with like everything they need in the form of like synthetic everything, food and supplies and everything like that. So of course the Earth economy is. Uh, in shambles and uh these two sort of teens are at the center of this movie who are carrying on what is essentially like a tiktok relationship for clicks which is how like the only like reliable way that humans can make money and you either like go up into the little spaceship cities and are like
1: this dynamic that sounds insufferable uh
0: it's it's not insufferable, but it's also not very interesting. Tiffany Haddish plays one of the kids' mothers. There is this odd inversion of like racial politics, where like the black family has taken in this like homeless white family, the the family of the girl who Tiffany Haddish's son is seeing and is in this TikTok relationship with. Uh, Josh Hamilton is the father. Josh Hamilton, as always, is like really tremendous, playing an absolutely ridiculous person who you want to slap, Um, as, which, <laughs> as is his specialty. Um, And I think the film feels like it's trying to be very clever about that sort of inversion of racial uh, politics where, like, this white family feels very aggrieved by, uh, you know, the privilege of the black family because they own a house and yada, yada, yada. And it's like the movie doesn't really do enough with that the aliens there's an absurdity to the aliens and like at some point you sort of like step back and you're just like oh i'm watching these like weird little like cgi goo creatures uh sort of have the run of humanity and like that's i guess interesting an absurd way but like it's not that interesting the movie just doesn't hold my attention very well it i i I you know I'm checking my watch quite a bit during this movie, and it's only like I think this movie is like a hundred minutes or something like that, so it's not that long um but it gets tedious. it just gets very, very tedious and to to no end like what kinds of things were people saying about it that you were observing?
1: I saw everything that you just said. Um, okay. Well, you <laughs> seem to be right in line with everyone else. What about the two, uh, your other two movies were both uh, gay movies, Cassandra and Fairyland. Yeah. I heard great things about Cassandra. I didn't choose to see it because it will be on Amazon Prime sometime soon. Yeah. And Fairyland I also didn't see I... because I heard not good things about it.
0: I think I liked them both around the same, which is to say that, like, they're both very, very good features for their lead actor performances, but, um, I think Cassandra is the better movie. I sort of bowed to the FOMO of it where like people were really, really enthusing about this Gael Garcia Bernal performance. And I knew that I was going to be able to see it soon on Amazon. And I just sort of like, I lost my, my willpower and used one of my Sundance slots on, on Cassandra. And I probably should have watched something else because I was only able to see 10 things, but yada, yada, yada. He's very good. He plays, um, a lucha libre wrestler in Mexico who, uh, you get a little bit of a sense of the, kind of internal politics of Lucha Libre where the masked wrestlers are these sort of like great masculine heroes. And he was sort of shunted off to play what's called an exotico, which is essentially just like a feminized, you know, uh character who gets defeated by the more masculine uh wrestlers. And his sort of defiance in that was, I'm gonna play an exotico, but I'm gonna play uh it as a hero. I'm gonna my character's going to be a hero and he's gonna win. And um he becomes this is the true, this is a true life, you know, sort of story, and he becomes one of the great sort of uh lucha libre wrestlers. Uh, and he's just very, very good in this. He has a relationship with um, Real Castillo from Looking. And uh, uh, what was he in just this year? The Inspection, was, yes, just in just we this love year. He was in the inspection. Um, he ha- also has a couple scenes with uh Bad Bunny who plays uh this sort of like straight-ish uh person in his realm who like Cassandra is very very heavily flirty with and those scenes are <laughs> crackling with sexual chemistry that I found very 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 interesting um I think the performance outpaces the movie for me but I think the movie is uh, is, is good um Fairyland is this sort of like decades spanning story of a father and daughter who a gay uh, father and his daughter who moved to San Francisco when she's very young after her mother dies. And it's sort of like the through the years sort of thing growing up in San Francisco. They live in this sort of like flop house situation for a while where he's, you know, uh, it's with, you know, several other sort of eccentric characters. Maria Bakalova is one of them. She's not giving a great performance. I that's, two now between this and bodies 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 where i'm just like did we overrate maria bakalova maybe we did and uh but whatever um uh cody fern is also in this movie for a hot second and i love him from uh the ryan murphy tv stuff that he's done but scoot McNary plays the father and he's great in this movie and i really really uh love him um he's playing opposite the girl from coda I'm just not remembering anybody's names this morning. Amelia... Jones. I was gonna say not Amelia Clark, Amelia Jones. Yes, who was in a couple of movies because I also uh, she, was, she was in Cap. She was in Cap, person. person. Which everyone hated. Everybody hated, which is why I didn't see it. Um, I yeah, was curious sure. about it, but I didn't see it. But Scoot McNary is very good as the father. It's one of those movies where it's like, oh god, they're as they move ahead through time, and it's like it's first it's the '60s, and now we've jumped to the '70s, and you sort of like this horrible realization falls on you, like oh god, like you know what's coming, you know that the AIDS crisis is coming, and what's gonna sort of probably befall this character and i don't always love that when you know this sort of like this i mean it's a complicated thing right where it's like this is a thing that happened this is the thing you almost can't memorialize it enough because it was not sufficiently you know mm-hmm. uh, paid attention to in its day so but i also feel like there is something crushing about as a viewer you've you know and i guess appropriately crushing right you've 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 connect with this character and then you know what sort of stomps down the road waiting for this guy but anyway i thought Scoot McNary was really good i think Amelia jones is fine i like their sort of their uh, parent-child relationship where he sort of lets her grow up um a little laissez-faire a little sort of like you know take the bus to this place and you know, I'm going to go out and like, you can like, you know, watch TV tonight and don't let anybody in the house. And, you know, he's sort of like is outliving a San Francisco life and she ends up resenting him for that. And it's, it's not a ton of novelty to this movie. There's not really a ton in this movie that you're like, I've never seen that in a movie before, but I really, um, I was endeared by the Scoot McNary performance. So I was glad that I saw it. Not my favorite thing that I saw, but I was glad that I saw it. Okay. Anything else? That a few I, other things before
1: yeah. we head out that I uh, think we should mention. Uh, Fair Play was obviously the big sale, sold to $20 million to Netflix. It's a relationship drama set in the finance world. People were calling it a thriller. It's not really a thriller. It's just a movie of a couple yelling at each other. Um, I thought it was not amazing I'm excited or... to
0: see it you know how much I love Alden Aaron Reich I will I mean I love Alden Aaron Reich too and he's really Not good as in much this as movie I do.
1: It's
0: a they
1: it's a relationship where they both work for the same finance team their relationship is a secret even though the movie opens with them getting engaged and she gets a promotion and it creates all of these type of gender politics between the two of them and uh yada 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 things uh, progress from there and it becomes a lot of yelling and such. I couldn't have believed this relationship less, maybe? In terms of, I could believe them as people who were regular fuck buddies, but I could not believe it ever as a relationship of two people who loved each other enough to get engaged. Never believed that. So, like, I thought that movie was at a disadvantage for that, for not really establishing this relationship. But then also, everything that comes from it, every type of hot-button point that it goes to um in terms of gender dynamics feels like it's about 3 years too late it's all pretty basic stuff and as far as the like veneer of like industry or succession the things that i've seen Ugh, compared industry. to it is a very weak tea version of that. Like, I mean, you can just go watch those shows. Those characters are way more interesting, and I think they've dealt with some of the sexual politics at play in this movie much better on those shows. Um, I would say Raven Jackson's All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt is a movie that we might be talking about later this year if A24 doesn't kind of dump it. I was really surprised to see something so... Like, poetic is the cheap word for it, but... There is a narrative to this movie, but it is kind of displaced in time in a way that, you know, huge comparison. I'm not making this as a qualitative comparison, but something like what Terrence Malick does in his movies. Um, I found it to be at an extreme disadvantage seeing this movie um, at home mm-hmm. rather than in a theater. So I will save further thought until I can see it in a theater. Um, considering what A24 does to a lot of their movies of this scale, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that this movie still gets its due and its opportunity. Sure. Um, and then the last one I would leave with is Fancy Dance, which uh, stars Lily Gladstone. I wanted to see
0: that. A, I missed it. Yeah. Uh,
1: a cool, breezy 90 minutes. Um, didn't get a whole lot of discussion during the festival, but... Partly because I think a lot of people skipped it because it sounds incredibly Sundancey. Yeah. It wasn't not that. It is slightly a thriller where she is being a guardian for her niece, for her missing wayward sister. She's been conducting a search for her sister. Meanwhile, the teenage niece is preparing to go to a powwow, which is a major cultural event uh, for their tribe and for um, their local community. Um, It is very much the type of movie you would expect to see, especially at Sundance. However, it has a really, really tremendous ending and Lily Gladstone is predictably fantastic in it. And we will be talking about her all year long. I was gonna say, do you like Lily Gladstone?
0: Is that like an actor who you like really respond to in any way? Like I
1: mean, after that certain women performance, (laughs) I mean we she became a ride or die. Like we we will uh we will always stand Lily Gladstone.
0: Alright. Well uh thank you all for joining us for our Sundance 2023 that we always say, you know, we'll keep it to a half an hour and uh, check your timestamp because we have not done that um, but thank you for staying with us for uh, this extra special length insert episode uh, that's our episode tune back in later this week for another uh, full length episode, if you want more of this had Oscar Buzz you can check out the Tumblr at this at OscarBuzz.tumblr.com, you should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and our Instagram At this had Oscar buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff?
1: On Twitter and Letterboxd at Crispy File. That's
0: F-E-I-L. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxed as Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So once you figure out what exactly you have seen of Ben Wachon that sex scene, uh, 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 <laughs> head back to your uh, <laughs> podcast apparatus and give us a nice review. <laughs> That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz.